0: So this morning we're continuing our series. We're going to jump right in, uh, called You're going to make it. And we've been looking for some truth in the midst of this bizarre little season. We're looking for a foundation that we can actually build our lives on. And we've talked about, uh, several different areas in our world today. This, this morning we're going to talk about the truth about the election. And ironically this morning, um, I looked on Facebook and Every now and then, it tells me that I have a memory, which is pretty awesome <laughs> that I forget what I'm told that I remember, but I was told this morning that I had a memory, um, and it was from four years ago today, I posted this picture. <laughs> I did not know that in advance of this morning. I thought that was pretty ironic. The caption I posted with that picture was, Jesus, take the wheel. Um... Anyways, I just found that really interesting because if you don't take it, did you know this? If you don't take a picture of yourself after you voted, the government won't count your vote. Did you know that? Um, you have to take the obligatory selfie or the FBI will cancel your vote out. Um, and so I did do that four years ago because um, did you even vote if you didn't take a picture of yourself? So I will tell you this, um, and for some of you this will be um, encouraging and make you happy. Uh, we're not actually going to talk about... Any of the political candidates this morning very much. Uh, for those of you who are kind of over this, and uh, we can move away from that picture now. That, that's, that's, let's, okay. <laughs> it's like, was creepy. It's just like haunting me from my shoulder there. Uh so, so yeah, we're we're not technically going to talk much about the candidates this morning. Um, what I'm hoping to do uh, is we're if we're going to look at the truth about the election, then we need to look to the one who is truth. And so this morning we want to make much of Jesus. So grab your Bible this morning. To uh, any guest who's watching us online or anybody in the house today, uh, we have a tradition before we dive into this book that we hold it up in the air and, and we say a creed together about it and a, a prayer uh, that prepares our hearts before we jump in because uh, what I have to say today is not really important and we think what this book has to say is really important. So if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, then we invite you to join with us this morning as we hold up our Bibles and as we say this with some conviction and some passion this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Awesome. Please turn to Isaiah chapter Number six, Isaiah six. If you've been around church for uh, a long time or, or maybe even just for a little bit of time, you may have heard this passage talked about. It's one of those uh, really kind of significant and kind of stands out among all of God's word. Ironically, I've been preaching since I was 15. I've actually never preached on this passage before. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to, to walk through this this morning as we seek to, to talk about the truth about the election this morning uh, without actually diving into the necessarily the politics of it, looking at God's truth. Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse number one in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, we'll talk more about them in a minute, each had six wings, kind of weird sounding, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and to that song I reply as I read it this morning, amen, Verse 4, And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, a picture of the Shekinah glory of God filling the place. And I said, Wow is that, and woe is me, for I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm broken, I'm falling apart, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, with a capital K, the Lord of Hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this is touch your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Hallelujah. (laughs) And your sin, thank you, Jesus, is atoned for. Hallelujah. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. We're going to look at several truths from this text that we're going to apply to this moment in which we find ourselves today. And the first one is this. The truth is political leaders come and go. In the year that King Uzziah died, political leaders come and go. Bad political leaders come and go. Good political leaders come and go. Because there's only one throne that's eternal. I remember every single election that I've been old enough to pay attention to, I've been told this is the most important election of our lifetime. It begins to kind of sound like the boy who cried wolf, you know, but here's the thing. There's an element of that that's profoundly true. This is the most important election of our lifetime because it's the only one we can do anything about today. You ever thought about that? The the previous elections aren't the most important elections of our lifetime because we can't get in a time machine and do anything about them. And the next election isn't the most important election of our lifetime because it's not our lifetime yet. We're not there. This is the only one we actually have a vote. This is the only one that we get to participate in. So for today, it's the most important election of our lifetime. And guess what? That'll be true in four years as well. (laughs) That'll be the most important election of our lifetime because it'll be the only one that we have a vote in because... Political leaders come and go. We don't have any system where there's an eternal, earthly king ruling. The truth is, our kings die. And for us, that doesn't necessarily mean physical death. It just means they didn't win the election. (laughs) Isaiah is shaken by the fact that King Uzziah didn't lose an election, but nonetheless, he did leave the throne. He died. And and I I would love to talk about the history of the kings of Israel like I, that stuff excites me and I know that I'm one of two people in the room that that excites and so we won't spend a ton of time talking about that except to say most of the kings in the history of God's people were not good kings. There's a really short list of good kings, and Uzziah's on that list. He was a great leader. He was a great spiritual leader. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26, verse number five says he set his heart to seek God. That's a pretty awesome thing to get to say about your political leader. I mean, spiritually, he was he was good for the people. He was a military leader. He was an inventor. He created stuff that helped strengthen their military. He was very pro-Second Amendment. Maybe he was from Texas. I don't know. But he actually invented this thing that could shoot multiple arrows at a time. Holmeslice invented the the arrow machine gun. Where everybody else is like, doink! He's like, da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, fat of the bone. He invented a, a machine that would throw rocks at people. Like, he was the first one to invent the catapult. Amazing. And he wasn't just a great military leader with his inventive skills. He was economically as well. He created this aqueduct system that got water to places that had been barren, that had been dry. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles 26, it literally says the words, He loved soil. Weirdest thing I've ever heard about a human being. He really loved dirt. It's just weird, but whatever, it's recorded in God's Word. So he really liked dirt. And he brought great economic health. He established new cities and strengthened cities for the people of God. So they're like, man, economically life is good and spiritually we've got great freedom and our military is stronger than it's been in our lifetime. This is great. And all of that's incredible by the fact that he became king at 16 years old. Like our our oldest son is 16, got his license a few months ago. Like we had that whole moment where he drove away in his car for the first time and we're like, How is this happening? How are we this old? Like, what's going on? And is he going to be okay? Can you imagine at 16? It's like, clean your room. Oh, and you're king today, by the way. What? He's king at age 16.
1: It's amazing. And he's this great king, but he wasn't eternal. He wasn't eternal. He
0: reigned for 52 years. According to our database here at the church, Um, around 85% of the people in our church database are under the age of 52, which means for 85% of us, we would never have known another political leader if we were alive at this time, not just four years. And then you can run again for 52 years. There was this great stability and that sounds like good news, except that the people of God began to put their hope in that political leader. And that's when things go sideways. See, the fact is, the, the good political leader had become an idol to the people of God. They weren't excited that he was a good leader. They actually placed their hope in a person. And the problem with putting our hope in a person is political leaders come and go. They don't reign on an eternal throne. And I would challenge you this morning, anytime time we set up a, a leader to be something greater... Then somebody who just comes and goes, we set them up for failure. Anytime we we think a leader is going to be our savior, we have set them up for failure because there's only one savior. And and I have to say that about more than just politically. Let me pause for just a second. Let let me talk about the fact that y'all acknowledge my anniversary today is a good day to just stop and pause for two seconds. And Let me say two things real quick. Give, Give me just a second here. First of all, let me just say it's weird for you all to acknowledge me because we've got an awesome team here. This isn't about me. I I have a a moment as clear as like burned into my brain early on during the pandemic where I had a conversation with somebody, somebody who is going to remember this conversation perhaps. And on that particular day, it was a day of utter chaos. We had no idea what to do. I was grieving that Easter wasn't going to look like Easter and the opportunities to proclaim the gospel weren't going to be the same. And what are we going to do? I was losing my mind. On that same day, Blake is working to do what we're doing right now. We didn't have the ability to live stream like this. We didn't have the production equipment to do this. We didn't have the processes in place. And I will tell you, Blake has been employed at the church. He's been serving the church for a long time, but been employed for five and a half years. I've never seen him work harder than he worked during this season to get us to be able to do what we're doing right now. He's still working to get the kinks worked out of the thing because we don't know what the heck we're doing. (laughs) And so in this season, I'm losing my mind. Blake's trying to figure all this out. In that same little moment of time, Lance is trying to figure out this payroll protection plan that the government rolled out for us. Praise God they did. Because of that opportunity and because you were faithful to continue to give as the Lord has blessed you. Technically today, this is the strongest financial position this church has been in since I've been your pastor. Go figure. The problem is it was a government program. Which means there was no information, none of it made any logical sense, and nobody knew what the other person was supposed to do. I mean, literally, you have to go through your local bank. And we're talking to our bank, and they're like, huh? (laughs) Like, we have no idea what's going on. And so Lance is trying to figure that out for us, because if you didn't do it right, you had to pay it back. And we're like, yeah, we don't intend to do that, so let's do it right And in that same moment of time, we found out that our loan was up for renewal. The loan that we've been paying down for all these years here at Temple for stuff over the years. Every five years it comes up for renewal. And of course, it came up for renewal right in the midst of all this. And so Monica's helping me get all the crazy documents together that the bank insists on, even though nothing has changed in five years. But we have to show that on paper with really weird forms and stupid stuff. All of that was happening when one of you, my dear parishioners, said to me, I bet you're just loving this break, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) The fact is, the reason that we've made it through this year is because we've got a great team. And in the midst of that, I I watched my my wife continue to lead the daycare, because here's the deal. They were closed for about 15 minutes during the pandemic. That was it. They were still showing up for work every day. And then in the midst of that, I watched Neil lead our school. I've never been more proud of his leadership. I've never been more proud of our teachers and staff than trying to figure out how to do remote learning with three seconds notice. This is a team. Thank you for your kind applause. But this isn't about me. That's not really what I was going to (laughs) say. That was just a thought. Here's what I would say. Here's the truth about your team. Every one of us are
1: sinners.
0: (laughs) Every one of us are one moment apart from the grace of God from ruin, from bringing reproach on the name of Christ. So don't put your hope in us. Don't think too highly of us. If you knew where we've come from, if you knew the moments of doubt we've had in the last six months. Anytime we put our eyes on men, we have set ourselves up for heartbreak because we have set that man up for failure. All leaders come and go. I gotta hurry up. I spent way too much time talking about that. And let me say this by the way about Uzziah, time out, uh, real quick. So some theologians think this might actually not be a reference to his physical death, because he didn't end well. All those great things he did, he ended up getting too big for his own britches. I don't. He didn't for his own robe, and ended up defying God and disrespecting God, and things did not end well for Uzziah. And so ironically, this might have actually been in the year that King Uzziah died as a godly man, died as a leader when his legacy died. We don't actually know for sure, Um, which is a good warning to all of us. But political leaders come and go. That's truth number one. Truth number two is what, what we need most is to see Jesus. What we need most is not to see our pet political leader. We need to see Jesus because the reality is for somebody in this room or for somebody on this stream right now, somebody's king is going to die next week. God willing, not physically, but the hopes of what we wanted to see them do are going to die next week. All three candidates can't win the election. I don't know if you knew that. It's not how it works.
1: It's a tie. Let's all
0: get along. That's not how it works. And so in that moment, I'm just telling you, everything that's happened in the last several months, what we need most is to see Jesus. We need a vision of Jesus. We need a glimpse of Jesus. What I long for each of you more than anything in the universe today is that you could see a glimpse of our king. We need things to calm down. We need things to feel better. We need COVID-19 to go away. We need things to get better economically. We need assurance of our job security. We need the election to be over. We need to treat one another with kindness and with dignity and with humanity and with goodness. We need things to be better in our homes. We need things to be calmer in our marriages. We need some kind of stability and normalcy. We need things to be less 2020. But what we need most is to see Jesus. And it's when these tensions come, it's when these disappointments come that he often reveals a vision of himself the clearest. It's in the the, the tribulation where often we see revelation. Tony Evans said we seldom see the Lord until our King dies. Being surrounded by horizontal bad news can be a moment of opportunity to look up and see some vertical good news. And that is, our king is on the throne and doing just fine. We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. I remember several years ago, that 16-year-old who's now driving and has his own car. I remember one of our kindergarten teachers burst into my office and said, we need you on the playground immediately. Garrett is stuck. I went out to the playground and his leg was stuck on the jungle gym thing. And he was freaking out, (laughs) losing his mind. And the teachers were like, we don't know what to do. And in that moment, I said what maybe some of you other dads have found yourself saying, maybe at the side of a pool or when a kid's up on the roof, or maybe your dad once said this to you. I said, look at me. I've got you. I'm just telling you, somebody needs to hear from your heavenly father this morning. He's saying, please just look at me. I've got you. Just look at me. Stop looking at what you're scared of. Stop looking at what might be. Stop looking at what's in conflict. Stop looking at what's not going right and look at me. Create some space to look at me because I've got you. I've got you. Trust me. I've got you. You're going to make it. Look to him. What we need to see most is not the resolution of our problems. It's the reign of our king. We need to see Jesus and he is available. Where's our attention this morning? If we are staring at our phones today, we're not going to see Jesus. If we're staring at our favorite news outlet, we are not going to see Jesus. There's some people right now so disillusioned by this thing called church and and they're not ready to go back or they're, they're not liking how their church is doing stuff. And I'm just here to tell you, stop looking at buildings. Stop looking at programs Stop looking at what your church can do for you and look at the thing that unites us all together. Our king is on the throne. Look to Jesus. Stop looking at the experts. Stop looking to our leaders. Stop looking at the opinions of other people about you and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Now, I grew up on the old hymns. I just now in this moment thought of that hymn, Look and Live. Woo. Look to Jesus now and live. Look anywhere else and you won't find life. Look to Jesus. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, which means that bad year
1: just turned into a good year. A year that changed Isaiah's life. What we need most is to see Jesus. That's the truth. Quickly,
0: i got to move on. There's a lot I want to say. The next truth is this. His throne is eternal. And I've already talked about this some, but his throne is eternal. Other political leaders come and go. But in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. It took an empty throne for Isaiah to get a glimpse of an eternal throne. It takes that, that disappointment to see something that endures forever. Psalm 145.13 says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. We serve a God. I heard a pastor say this this week. I love this. He said our God rules the universe with his feet up. Isn't that awesome? Because Isaiah, the book that we're in, in the last chapter of this book, Isaiah 66, verse 1, He speaks uh, prophetically on behalf of God. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Literally, our God today is upholding the universe with his feet propped up on planet earth, drinking something with an umbrella in it. But it's not alcoholic. Don't worry, because Jesus is Baptist.
1: Like he's upholding the universe. with His feet propped up. Is that not amazing to you? Okay,
0: let me contrast it with this. How stressed out do these people look who are running for office right now? They look exhausted, don't they? Like they're already 7,000 years old and they look even older than when the campaign began. And our God's running galaxies like, eh, I'm good. That's, I want to look at that throne.
1: That's our God. I want to be amazed at Him, at His authority, at His, Power. He
0: sees this throne and above the throne, verse two says, stood the seraphim. Say, Doug, what are the seraphim? I don't know. What's a kind of angel, right? It is. But man, we have so polluted the the vision of an angel. No uh, No offense to precious moments or hallmark, but like this is not the little chubby naked wearing a diaper with a harp and a bow thing. The word literally means burning ones or blazing ones. And there's some bad looking tattoo artistry going on with the six wings here. With two, they cover their face in holy reverence. With two, they cover their feet with holy humility. Only two are used to actually fly around. Which I think is an awesome principle for us as the people of God and the followers of God. They had twice as much praise as performance. I love that. Twice as much of their energy went to worship than work. These angels had six wings and two of them were doing the job of humble adoration. Flying around the throne. Quickly, here's the next truth. The truth is, our God is holy, holy,
1: holy. And it's important that I didn't just say that he's holy. He is holy. But he's holy, holy, holy.
0: We're going to talk about the significance of that here in just a second. That's the song that these angels are calling out to each other around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're singing this song to one another. And I've talked about the word holy a lot before. And so for some of you, this is a bit of a review. But hang with me, because I think we have a busted up internal definition of the word holy. When we think of holy, I think we often think of snooty, stuffy, boring, really perfect. Right? Think about how solemn it is to enter into holy matrimony. Right? Now we partake of holy communion. Like we literally only use the word holy when we're like, oh, it's boring. It's really quiet and calm. When we think of holy, we think of stained glass and an echo. And then we try to define holy and we're like, that means he's without sin. And that is literally like the, the size of a pinhead of the definition of what holy means. So I want to give you the best definition of holy I've ever given you. You ready? You can write this down. Those of you who are note takers, type this out. Ready? Holy means... Uh, sh- that, take that to the bank. That's the best definition of holy any theologian will ever give you. That God is holy means that God is...
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <that's>, yes, <no. sighs> oh. <gasps>
0: You <laughs> you're wondering how long I'm going to carry this on, aren't you? That's what holy means. Holy, get a hold of yourself. Holy literally means we don't have a word for that. Holy means I ain't got no box for that. It means there's no category to put this thing in. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. I can't describe it. It's it's beyond me. In the Hebrew, it's the word kadosh. Which means to cut apart or to separate or set aside or in a whole nother category of its own. And, and not just that it's it's different, right? Well, holiness, I've, I've told you this before, is the otherness of God. We're trying to put God in a box and we're like, no, it's other. It's something else. But not just other as in different, not just unlike anything we've experienced in the world. It's other as in infinitely better. The illustration that I've used before is, is you've got Briar's ice cream and you've got Bluebell ice cream, right? They're not just different from one another. One is superior. Can I get a Texas witness in the house of Jesus? It's in and out versus what a burger. It's not just two different burgers. One is superior. Go back to California. <laughs> not just different, better. It's not just the difference between Coca Cola and Mountain, whatever gross off brand thing that you subject your children to. Marisa does this. So early on in our marriage, I was a youth pastor for 15 minutes and parents would bring soft drinks for like a youth event and they would bring that cheap off-brand stuff. And I'm like, excuse me, our students are better than this. It's a dollar more. This is gross. It's not the same. Just because it's the same color doesn't mean it tastes the same. And she's like, why are you so offended by this? What is wrong with you? Well, the, because one's better. Not just different. And what we're saying is that God is holy means he's a whole nother level. Like he's otherworldly. He is not just the big guy. He's not the man upstairs. He's the holy God of the universe. He's holy. He's something else. Every other attribute about God flows from his holiness. I think his holiness is his least admired attribute. We think it makes him so perfect that it's just snooty and, and, and boring and, and safe and distant. And it might be his least popular attribute, but it absolutely is his most important attribute. It's the one most frequently talked about in the scriptures 637 times. God describes himself in his own word as Holy. Y'all ain't got no box for me. You don't have a word for me. I'm beyond what you can. I'm holy. And every other thing about him flows. Here's the thing. God isn't just love. When you, when, I asked my, my boys this week, they're, they're doing a, a project at school about God's attributes. I said, what's his most important attribute? He said, love. And I said, no, that's his most admired attribute. Selfishly, we wish that was his greatest attribute, but he's holy. And here's the thing. He's so otherworldly that his love is holy. (laughs) His grace is holy. His goodness is holy. His presence is holy. His sovereign reign is holy. His justice is holy. His authority is holy. His reach is holy.
1: His godness is holy because he is holy. But that's not what this text says. It doesn't say he's holy. It says he's holy, holy, holy
0: holy, which is the Hebrew equivalent of a bunch of exclamation points. You know, Hebrew has no punctuation marks. So that's how you emphasize something in the Hebrew language is if you say it twice, it's a big deal. And if you say it three times, you're saying it's the biggest deal that's ever existed. Right. Some of you have been to Nigeria with us and in that pigeon English culture, if you ask someone how is so and so doing with their studies at school, they will say he is doing well. But then if you ask about the star student, they will say, he is doing well, well. I'm like, did you stutter? Or and they're like, no, that means he's doing like the best. It's like, oh, okay. But even in their language, they don't have a three times. <laughs> That's a Hebrew thing. He's not just holy, and he's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. One example I heard somebody use this week is the way that some of us talk about these masks. Some people are like, I mean, masks work. Like if there's something contagious and I'm not breathing in your mouth, then that has to help. Right. So, yeah, they work. And other people are like, no, 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 no. They work, work. Like literally, we're flattening the curve if everybody would just wear a mask. And then you got other people who are like, no, 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 no. They like work, work, work. Like if we wear our masks enough, we'll actually go back in time, and this won't ever have happened. We will wake up, and it will be a February morning, and birds will be chirping. And then you've got other people who are like, no, masks are bogus, 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 right? But you understand that the effect theologically, this is called the trihagion, the thrice holy, meaning this is the only attribute of God that's ever said three times. And there is, of those 637 times, one other time that it's said three times. It's another time that somebody saw the Lord seated on his throne. Somewhere between 750 and a 1,000 years later, John would see the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when he sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 4, he says the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the two glimpses that we see around 1,000 years apart, they're singing the same song, So loud that the building shakes and it's full of smoke. So some of you who are like, man, are we ever going to learn a new song? Like, listen, 750 years of singing the same song. And and you talk about being loud. Like, we're literally shaking the threshold of place here. That's the song that they're
1: singing today. Holy, holy, holy. I love this. Real quick, Levi Lusko
0: said he doesn't, he believes that as these These seraphim are making a lap around the throne as they continue to say, holy, holy, holy. He said, I don't believe they're they're calling out the holiness that they saw on their last lap. They're seeing something brand new in the glory of God being revealed that they've never seen in a thousand years. They're saying a fresh glimpse of, oh, he's holy, holy, holy. And the other dude's like, oh, he's holy, holy, holy.
1: And they haven't scratched the surface yet. That's who our God is. And then the foundations of the thresholds shook
0: the house filled with smoke. And here's the thing. If we can, oh, church, if we can actually get a glimpse of the glory of our God, our praise will shake the building. Not be passive and sleepy and half checked out and reserved, and dignified, if we could get a glimpse of who our God is. Our praise would shake the building. And the reason I'm parking here for as long as I'm parking here is to say with everything in my heart for the next week and a half, you don't need to see more of your news channel. You need to see more of the glory of God. Stop looking to your left and stop looking to your right and look up at the glory of our God. Stop living for lesser glories. There's none like him. There's none like him. There's none like him. He's holy. The next thing we see in the text, the next truth that we can build our hope and our life on is this. The truth is, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Because Isaiah sees the
1: Lord and his instant response. Woe is me. I'm lost. It's literally a Hebrew word for falling apart. I'm a man of unclean lips. Everybody I know has got unclean lips. We're a mess. Look at him. If we are not in awe of the glory of God, it's not because he's not glorious. It's because we're not looking. Isaiah looks at God and instantly says, I need somebody outside of me to save me from me. Because I'm not like that. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. And the amazing thing is, there's this weird picture about burning coals that I don't pretend to
0: understand. The seraphim comes with the burning coal.
1: And he touches it to the thing that he just admitted was unclean. He brings
0: forgiveness and cleansing to the very thing that he said was broken. And what we see in that is that confession is the path to forgiveness. We don't get our act together before the throne of God and then he receives us. We confess, you're glorious and I'm not. And then he forgives us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful. And he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from everything that isn't right. That's the glory of his grace. Isaiah confesses, whoa, and then forgiveness is granted to him. Isn't that amazing? If you don't know that you've ever had a moment that you said, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. In that confession is healing. In that, forget, in that confession is forgiveness of sin. To the very area of his life where he confessed his brokenness. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I've got to be honest with you, that's weird to me. If I stood before the throne of God, I'm pretty convinced that today, I don't know for sure, that I would say, woe is me, cause all of me is unclean. <laughs> right? Like if we stood before God's Lord today, would we be like, my lips are dirty? Your lips? Dude, you got a bigger problem than that. Why would he say his lips are unclean? Here's what's interesting. He's a prophet. His lips are the best thing he has to offer God. What he was saying in that moment is, the best I have to offer isn't good enough to save me in the presence of a holy God. That's why he would write many years later in Isaiah 64 verse 6, all of my best righteousness is like filthy rags. When the best thing we have to offer God isn't good enough, we need a Savior. The prophet said, my lips are busted. We don't stand before God and say, hey, I've got it together in this area of my life. Max Lucado said, you don't impress the officials at NASA with a paper airplane. You don't boast about your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. And we surely don't boast
1: about our goodness in the presence of a holy God. We need a savior. The book of Isaiah is called the Bible in miniature.
0: It's been called that for thousands of years. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. But the, the incredible things that we know about God and know about the gospel and know about hope and know about grace. That we've learned from this prophet because God is a God who turns our biggest problem into our greatest gift. He turns our greatest problem into our greatest opportunity. He uses the thing that broke us for his glory. That's the God that we serve. He took unclean lips and literally paved the way for his son. Because of the prophet Isaiah experiencing the forgiveness of God. We have this promise from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be like rule. Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. In, in chapter 9, he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In chapter 26, he said, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. In Isaiah 40, He said, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a a pathway for our God. He said later down, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus would quote that. Farther down in chapter 40, he said, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him has, who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Isaiah 42, he said, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. In Isaiah 43, he wrote now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, formed you, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame, shall not consume you. Remember, not the former things of old, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. Not the King that ever leaves His throne. The King of Israel. The Redeemer. The Lord of hosts. I am the first. And I am the last. And there is no God beside me. Chapter Fifty-two. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And then Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed. Isaiah 53, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 61, Jesus would preach this same text The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 64, verse 1 Oh, that you, O oh God, would rend the heavens. And that you would come down every one of those verses that many of you know and you've seen on a coffee mug or on a Christian t-shirt or painted on a Joanne looking sign in somebody's farmhouse. Listen, that came from the guy who got healed in the place that he was most broken. God turned his greatest liability and the thing that he used the most our God's not looking for the God at all together strong leader who offers people hope he's looking for broken people who will make much of him the truth is we need a savior here's the last thought and then we're done the truth is God offers us when we see him an allegiance adjustment Uzziah had an adjustment of his allegiance from King Uzziah. He admired him for being a good king. He just no longer was the king of his heart. He said, I now have a higher allegiance because when that capital K king said, who will we send and who will go for us? The first thing that a humbled and healed Isaiah said is, here I am, send me. And that's the thing when we've really seen God, when we've been humbled before his glory, when we've been healed by his grace, we can't help but say, God, I'll, I'll speak up for you. I'll surrender for you. I'll share the story of God. I'll surrender my life and I'll give and sacrifice to help other people do the same. The reason that missionaries preach this text all the time is when we see God, our life changes. Isaiah saw the king and said, hey, I want to join your grassroots campaign. I'm not going to litter my social media profile with a king that's about to roll over. I want to make much of you. And I prefer a good king, but I'm giving my life over to King Jesus. He's my highest allegiance. He's the one who's changed my life and he's the only one worthy of my hope. There will be other kings worthy of our vote, but there's only one worthy of our hope. There's only one worthy of our praise. There's only one worthy of our affection.
1: When we see him, we can't help but serve him. And the healing was a calling.
0: And because of that, because there's a throne that never ends, because we have an opportunity to see Jesus, because there's none like him. He is holy, holy, holy because he's our savior. Because of that, I believe with everything in me this morning that the truth is you're going to make it. You're not going to make it because you've got this. And you're not going to make it because your favorite politician's going to win or not win. You're going to make it because Jesus sits on the throne. He is our king. He rules and reigns and does all things well. You're going to make it because he is who he says he is. The only question is will we spend our efforts the next week and a half looking somewhere other than his throne? I'm absolutely... Invested and concerned about this election. I'm not minimizing that at all. I just grieve that I see the people of God more concerned about the White House than seeing God in their own house. Are we desperate to see him? Are we hungry to see him? Because I believe he's available. Because if we see him, we will stop standing for our rights and instead, we will bow before His presence and humble ourselves in grateful worship that the Savior's rescued us. Because He's the only one who can do that.
1: His grace is holy, and His goodness is holy. Have we gotten a glimpse of the Lord?